turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Different things attract us and draw us to one another. And in a society that's kind of putting a lot of gray in between that and saying, hey, you don't have to be different. No, no, no. In Scripture, it's very clear. Men and women are different. But you don't have to be a theologian to understand that. You just have to look at how things work. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Ruth 1, verse 16. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. It's the kind of commitment we talk about at a wedding ceremony. When I stand with a couple and and they exchange their vows, and and then uh, I'm going to say to the to the groom, uh, Greg, uh, the knot's been properly tied. You may now kiss your bride, and they smooch in front of everybody. And then I have a chance to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and what God has joined together, let no one, no man, no thing put asunder. That's commitment. And we often read from Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, even though this was commitment expressing that kind of relationship between a a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. But think about what Ruth said. First of all, she said, this kind of commitment, it's going to affect my location. I'm going to go where you go. I have one son who's already gotten married and he's about to finish his graduate degree and his wife's a school teacher and now they're seeking out God's plan for their next step. And I, I, I know this, you know what they've already decided? Wherever one of them goes, both of them are going. That's the way it works. That kind of commitment changes your location. It, it not only changes your location, though, it, it changes your love. What, what do you love? Ruth said, your people are going to be my people. I'm a part of your family now. I'm not going back. It didn't change even her Lord. Your God will be my God. Changed her legacy. You're stuck with me. I'm here to death. I guess I just want to ask you, as we jump into these other words, would the people around you describe you as a person of commitment? Do your friends see you that way? Do they see you as loyal, faithful? Would your employee or your employers see you that way, as committed? Can the people in your church, can they look at you that way? As committed, not just involved, but as committed. 
Say, how do I know? Well, one thing to do is to ask this question. Do you go into relationships with escape clauses and assumptions? In other words, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. Unless you do, you know what that guy over there did. You do that, I'm going to kill you. I'm out of here. Or if she ever treated me like that, if she ever did that, I'd be gone quicker than you could. Do you have these things already set up in your mind that I'm here? But it's not commitment. Commitment. Second word is confidence. See, we see in in Ruth and Boaz in their relationship the confidence that God is the one directing. This is very important if you're not yet married, if you're a parent or a grandparent, and you think you may be speaking into the life of, of someone who desires one day to be married. Because this biblical ideal is this willingness to wait on the Lord. Remember, we see it even with Adam and Eve. That it was God who brought Eve to Adam. We see it in a different way with Abraham and Sarah. As they waited on the Lord, God gave them the desires of their heart. And, And here we see this with Ruth. Ruth was willing to go forward recognizing the things that were her responsibility, but trusting God with the things that were his. One of the reasons we get in the relational messes we're in is because we've taken things that are God's matters into our hands. Remember how Sarah did that and got her into trouble? That can happen with us too. You force a relationship out of loneliness or out of some of these felt needs or or some of these desires that you have. And you get involved in something that God had no desire to get you involved in. It's kind of as silly as some of the silly pickup lines I've heard about. Did you use a pickup line before? Well, Michael Renner here, he told me when he and Sharon were, were first getting to know one another, he looked at her and he said, Do you have a library card? Because I'm ready to check you out. True story. It's a true story. And then Ray here, oh, Ray Rod, he told, how many years you've been married? 33 years. And last service, he told me that before y'all got to know each other, he looked at you and said, are you a parking ticket? Because you got fine written all over you. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, this, this, is, this is real. Um, Pastor Zach Musa is from the nation of Niger, but you may not have known that Heather, his wife, is from the Caribbean. And when he first uh, saw her, he knew that. And he said, hey, are you Jamaican? Because you Jamaican me crazy. I mean, he's, that's Pastor Zach. You know, when Kimberly and I first met, I just went up to her and said, Hi, my name is Will. God's will. <laughs> so doesn't that sound silly? How silly is it when we take matters into our own hands? That's what I want you to understand. A God-honoring relationship must be built on the confidence that he will be your ultimate provider. He will do what only he can do and what he can and should do in your life. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10, we see this. Ruth is there in the field and she falls on her face, bowing to the ground and says to him, Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? 
But Boaz answered her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. In other words, you've already got a reputation. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. I've seen your commitment. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz was teaching her a spiritual lesson because Boaz was a Jew. Boaz was part of the family of God. So he was saying, you want to know why I'm being kind to you? It's the provision of the God that you're now following. God is doing this for you. You sought refuge under his wings. Well, guess what? He always provides. And that would be the message I would have for you wherever you are in your relationship journey. God will provide for you. And he will always be more than enough to meet your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But you know how he demonstrated his provision? Ruth was hanging out in the right place. She was looking around to see what was in front of her. And then she was gleaning everything she could in the moment. So three questions for you. You hanging out in the right places? Because you're not going to find the person that God wants for you if you're going somewhere he would never go. And number two, are, are you looking at the people he's already putting in your path? Sometimes we get our minds made up of what we're looking for. And we don't see what he's bringing us. But here's the big one. Are you making the most of the moment, gleaning everything you can, even if you're not expecting God to work right then? Remember, Ruth was just there to get food, but God was directing her to her future, and he'll do the same for you. So what do you do? When you wait on the Lord, God provides And for her, he provided Boaz. And what did Boaz do? He began to express his desire. He began to demonstrate kindness to her. He began to dedicate his time because, you know, that's how you spell love, T-I-M-E. And then he did more than the minimum. And all of this was just building Ruth's confidence that God would provide. Commitment, confidence, there's a third word, the word character. Here's what's interesting. The Bible tells us that the whole town already knew what kind of woman Ruth was. Look at Ruth chapter 3 verse 11. Boaz is speaking and he says, For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. She had a reputation. Her character preceded her. Now, I want you to understand something. Your character always comes out when there's relational pressure. So the things you say and the things you do when when it gets heated up, that's who you really are. In this case, Ruth's character had come out. We see in chapter 3 that she's preparing herself to be presented to Boaz. And she does some things that help us with our character. First of all, she cleanses herself. Now, she does this literally, but, but we do this spiritually every day. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. 
Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. You want to have a healthy relationship with someone else? Ask God to give you a clean heart. Ask him to work in a holy way in your life. Then she consecrated herself. She, she anointed herself with perfume and for oil. And, and for us spiritually, this speaks to us consecrating ourselves to God and say, God, I, I want you to be honored. I want you to be pleased. I want my life to be a pleasing aroma to you. And then she, she changed clothes. And when you look at this historically, what we believe is that Ruth took off the clothes of a widow And she put on the clothes of someone that was looking for a husband. Her appearance was different. And if you want that kind of relationship that God wants you to be, then ask him to change your appearance, not physically, but from the inside out. Ask him to make you more like him. Ask him to help. If you're married, ask him to help your spouse see him in you. If you want to be married... If that's the desire of your heart, ask Jesus to be so glorified in your life that others are drawn to him in you. And then just live by his guidelines. Watch out for those guardrails. So you have this crazy thing that's taking place there in chapter 3 that Naomi had kind of schemed, and she's the matchmaker, the mother-in-law matchmaker. I mean, that sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? But she's a matchmaker, and, and so she tells Ruth to go, and, you know, right when he goes to sleep, you lay down at his feet, and then you do this terribly cruel thing. You uncover his feet so that they get cold, and then when he gets cold, he's going to wake up, and he's going to say, ha, ah! and, and when he sees you there, then, then you say, oh, could you cover me? And then symbolically, in tradition, what she would be saying is, would you take me to be your wife? I mean, just think about that. She's asking him to marry her in kind of a crazy way, but it was within the guidelines of what was done even among God's children. So what what should you be doing in your relationships? You should be following those guidelines that God's given you, watching out with those guardrails, Asking him to make you more like him so that you become that person you want to be with. That's a good relation and motto. Be the person you want to be with. (laughs) It's kind of a cool moment. Because uh, when Ruth does that, man, it makes Boaz sparkle. See, Naomi understood something that we need to make sure we understand. Men and women are different, right? Different things attract us and draw us to one another. And in a society, in a a culture, in a world that's kind of 
putting a lot of gray in between that and saying, hey, you don't have to be different. No, no, no. In Scripture, it's very clear. Men and women are different. But you don't have to be a theologian to understand that. You just have to look at how things work. Even just think about how things work physically in a relationship. Men and women are different. I mean, women, if you, if you were thinking about something, you know, in, in your kitchen maybe for, for when you want to have a physical relationship, you want a, a woman to be sexually stimulated, you know, women are kind of like a crock pot. It just takes time, kind of slow cooking, kind of in the, in the morning, be nice, say kind words, encourage, send some flowers. Go put gas in the car. I mean, all kind of things. It's all day long, and then maybe by evening, maybe, maybe things will heat up. Men, on the other hand, they're in the kitchen too, but they're more like a microwave oven. I mean, just push the button, and we're ready to go, right? Anywhere, anytime, my pleasure. All right? In fact, this is such a big deal that it's been over 30 years ago, a guy named William Harley wrote a book. And this isn't true of everybody, but it kind of just makes us think. He took five things that are the top needs of of most women and and five things that are the top needs of, of most men. And he said, you just need to be aware of these because we're different. And let me just give you those lists. I've given you this before. But for ladies, it's a top five thing. Most women, not everybody, most women. Number one was affection. Just want you to know that you lovingly care. Number two is conversation. Talk to me. And one of the ways we're different is women have, they're just gifted with a lot more words than we are men. And so they want to talk and you have to listen. Number three, honesty and openness. Tell the truth. Number four, I think this is changing. Society has changed us a little bit. But number four, 30 plus years ago was financial support. I want to know that I'm going to be secure. And number five, a commitment to the family. That you really understand there's a family commitment. Now, men, I'm just telling you, our need list is a little different. So the number one, you have any clue? Number one on the need list for men, here we go, sexual fulfillment. Did not even make the top five for women. Number one every time for men. Men said it's always needed, it's always ready, we're always ready, and it's always appreciated. True story. Number two is recreational companion, someone to do life with me. Number three is physical attractiveness, that you take care of yourself physically. Number four is support. And number five, which I think actually this is probably number one or two in some men's life, is admiration, that respect where where you recognize that they're trying hard and they want to be their best for you. Now, why would I go through this list? We're different. And you you have to recognize those differences even as you live out with character that relationship God puts before you. Ruth and Naomi had a plan. I told you about that. Look in verse 8 of chapter 3. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. I think she said it like that. I am Ruth, your servant. And then listen to this line. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So again, playing on that biblical principle, the kinsman redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. (laughs) So, wives, I'm just saying, 
you know, if you just go to your husband this evening and you just, I'm just make it practical. If my wife comes to me and says, I am Kimberly. I promise I will say, may you be blessed by the Lord. I mean, that's just, that's the way it will work. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. Hey, here's the point. She lived a life of character and God honored that. And by the way, this is one of the only instances in history where a man had cold feet but still went through with the wedding. So, all right. So, commitment, confidence, character, and the last one is covenant. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, covenant, isn't that kind of like commitment? I mean, being all in, being invested, there's a difference here. And I want you to understand this difference because your commitment acknowledges your investment. But a covenant formalizes your commitment between God and and others. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask all of us to consider a covenant moment to to taking these truths that we've learned from Scripture and applying them to our lives in a covenant way. Look in in chapter 4 and verse 7. Here's what's going to happen. Boaz is now at the city gates. He's saying, hey, I, I I want Ruth to be my wife. I'll be her kinsman redeemer. But hey, you over there, you're actually a little closer in the family. You're next in line. So if, if, if you want Ruth to be your wife, um, I guess I'll have to yield to you. But by the way, uh, she comes with uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, and they've already got some land and some other things. And, and so the guy's talking to him and, and says, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I got my plate full. I don't need another wife. I, I, no, I don't want that. And so there's kind of this moment where Boaz says, prove it. Because when you had a covenant, you had to prove it. It's like signing on the dotted line. It's symbolic. And what you would do is you would take off your sandal. And by handing your sandal to the other person, you were entering into a covenantal agreement. It may be coming from in Joshua where God tells the children of Israel, wherever your feet trod, there I will bless. And so maybe that's where it's coming from, but nevertheless, that's how you show the commitment. It's kind of, you know, we have a wedding ring that's a symbol of our commitment. I I can take this wedding ring off. I never do that. Keeping it close. This doesn't make me married, but it it shows other people that I'm in this covenant relationship. That's what's happening here. Look in chapter four, verse seven. This was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. One drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So the other guy took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. All that belonged to Chiliad and Malon, that's the two sons. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses to this day. This is what's making it a covenant. They're witnesses present. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And guess what? (laughs) She was renowned in Bethlehem. This woman, (laughs) this woman who like some of you, she didn't come from a church background. She didn't know the things of God. She couldn't quote the scriptures at the time. But God was taking what was devastation in her life and he was directing her path and he was giving her the desires of her heart by showing her devoted love. And God's done some of that for some of you, hasn't he? He's demonstrated his redemptive power. And he did that so much so. And she responded in such a way that today, thousands of years later, we're reading out of the Bible her story. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.